smarted myself. I didn't, but I just, here we go. That's what I'm looking for. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, uh, all that stuff that I was scrolling through, we'll, the Lord will lead us, we'll come back to that, but there's a certain thing I want to get to tonight, and we're going to get to it. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, it says, God is faithful. One translation says God is trustworthy, meaning he's worthy of your trust. He's faithful, he's trustworthy, by whom this faithful God, this trustworthy God, meaning you can trust him, and he has called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You have been called, I have been called. As a matter of fact, the call to fellowship with God goes out to every human being. Some have answered that call and have entered in through the doorway of salvation. Others have not yet answered that call, but we're believing that many, many more will before the end of this age. Fellowship with God is your number one purpose. All other purposes for which you were created are not only secondary to this number one purpose, they are dependent upon your fellowship with God. Meaning the more you understand and participate in fellowship with God, the more effective you're going to be in every other purpose God has for your existence. Now we also see in things we've covered already, you were created by God in the image and likeness of God so that you could have fellowship with God. There must be comparability in order for there to be compatibility. And the more comparable two things are, the more compatible they will be. This is why Father God created you. I say Father God. It's why God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because they said, let us make man in our image. This is why they created you in their image and in their likeness so that you could have fellowship with them. We've said that God is an eternal community and he dwells in absolute communion. Communion meaning sharing and exchanging. Think common union. And as far-fetched as this may be to the religious-minded, you were created by God for fellowship with God. This means the eternal community that is God created you to have an equal share in their common union. Now, fellowship is different from relationship. Relationships are important, but relationships and fellowships relationships and fellowship are two different things and we've been really trying to distinguish the difference between these because a personal relationship with God is considered by many today as the gold standard of Christianity when it's nothing more than than a cheap or fake substitute for what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit truly desire to have with you which is fellowship. Now we said that fellowship originates in the Godhead Because God is three yet one, it is a bond of fellowship that unites them. Fellowship is as much God as holiness is God and as much God as love is God. Fellowship then is more than something that God does. It is who God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are a fellowship. If you remove fellowship from the Trinity, they would no longer be God. So last week we said God is holy, God is love, and God is fellowship. Like love and holiness, fellowship is the essence of God. Now, there are times just when I am in meditation and prayer that the Lord will, you know, just speak certain things to me, and and I've become very familiar with His voice over the years, and, and yet, you know, anytime I have that inward witness of the Holy Spirit, the way you are able to 
confirm that, yes, this is indeed God speaking to you, is to go to the written word. Because God will never say something to you that violates what he's already said to you in his written word. In other words, these, these things will always agree. So you've got, the, um, you've got the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, and then you've got um, the, the written word, amen, to uh, verify and to confirm. And so today the Lord dropped this in my heart, that fellowship is the essence of God. And I thought, man, you know, I, that sounds good, but is it, is it accurate? And so as I begin to look at what the, the word essence means, I think you'll see very quickly that, that this was indeed the Holy Spirit. So again, like love and holiness, fellowship is the essence of God. Love is the essence of God. Holiness is the essence of God. So what does essence mean? Essence means the, the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality that determines, that should say, the character of a person or thing. Now I know that's kind of wordy, but when we talk about something being intrinsic and indispensable, it means you cannot be or have without it. Amen. You cannot be or you cannot have without it if something is intrinsic or indispensable. Another definition for the word essence is the most significant element, quality, or aspect of a thing or person. One that possesses or exhibits a quality in abundance as if in concentrated form. Praise God. Well, amen. When we talk about fellowship being a significant element or quality or aspect of the Godhead, we see that it's their common union that links them together. We see that they have never had uh, a moment, one split second of disagreement or disunity. Now, as we continue to dig into uh, fellowship, and I know if, if you came tonight uh, wanting to talk here more about these, these five factors and variables of a relationship, maybe we'll circle back around to that. I don't know if we're going to get to that tonight, but... We will, if the Lord leads, spend a little more time on that uh, in, in the days to come. Let me, let me just, before I go any further, put those up, because I don't like to tell you I'm going to do something and, and then not do it. Um, after reading multiple definitions, I've concluded five variable factors of any relationship, and we, t- we went over these last week. What we didn't do last week that I had planned to do this week was show you how Father God has given to you and me and provided to you and me the absolute highest and best of every one of these five factors, okay? And so we said that a relationship is defined by the connection that that creates it. And you can have a connection with an institution, you can have a connection with a group of people, you can have a connection with a a social club. Um, Had some back and forth with, with Brother Donald and uh, he said the Holy Spirit kept bringing up the, the term a social engagement where, you know, we're socially engaged with people on, on a lot of different levels. And I, and I like that terminology. And, and those things can be important and they can be meaningful, but they do not rise to the, to the level of connection that we have with God through a blood covenant with him and being born of his seed. And so we said the two things that, that create the highest level of connection are covenant and seed and we see that naturally speaking in in marriage and in you know siblings um we have friends that uh have triplets and uh you know three children coming out of the same womb at the same time 
and there's a bond there. Sometimes you see a bond between twins. Um, have, you ever, have you seen any of the videos on, on like YouTube and things where, where toddler twins have their own language even? I mean, literally their own language. And so we see again that, that seed creates a bond, a connection. Covenant creates a bond, a connection. And when it comes to the connection and bond that we have with God, again, the absolute highest, born of his seed, and uh, the blood covenant that was ratified by Jesus. The next factor, and again, these things are variable, meaning it can be very minimal or it can be to the highest absolute. We see commitment. So you can have a connection with people but not be very committed, you know, to that relationship. And, and we're seeing that more and more in our world where, where people have lots of connections but very little commitment. And I think some of that may even be that because we have so many connections, our our ability to commit to those connections is spread very thin. And um, we need to consider that, amen? Um, you know, our uh, CEO at the Foundry, Micah Andrews, the Lord began to deal with him some, some time ago. And uh, gradually over time, he's brought some very important changes to the ministry of the Foundry. And one of the things that the Lord showed him was that the Foundry was very broad in its ministry efforts, but in some cases very shallow. And, and so there's been a narrowing of the focus and a deepening of the, uh, the, the ministry and the level of ministry. And we're really starting to see uh, you know, tremendous fruit um, from those changes. So beware of too many connections that spread your uh, ability to commit um, and even things in this world that, that we're a part of that take precedent over our commitments um, to God and to assembling together. Again, I'm not going to preach you that to you because you're here tonight, but um, we, we see that more and more uh, in our world today. Uh, who, who besides me remembers the day when Little League Baseball was never, ever, ever, not even practice on a, on a Sunday or a Wednesday? I mean, that ballpark down there lights out empty on a Wednesday. Well, amen. Things are changing in our world today. We don't we need to be aware of that and, and, and not um, follow <laughs> that trend. The third factor is regard. And, and we said this is the respect or, or the regard that you have in, in, for, for the people that you're in relationship with. Uh, behavior, how we behave towards them. And again, regard is influenced by commitment. Commitment's influenced by connection. Uh, but the regard that you have for someone, the true regard that you have for them will be reflected in the behavior uh, in, in the way you treat that person. It's one thing to say, remember Jesus said, why do you talk about, call me Lord, Lord, and talk about how much you love me, but don't do the things that I say. So um, true regard is reflected in behavior. And then the fifth factor, and it's an important factor, um, but it's also a variable, and that's the emotions that are associated with the relationships that we have. And a lot of people, you know, base their relationships on emotion, uh, and think it's the driving factor in a relationship, and it's not. And if, you, if you're having issues uh, with, the, with the emotions in, in close relationships, even in your marriage relationship, um, maybe you should alter the way you are treating one another, which would then require an altering of the regard that you have for one another, which would, <laughs> back to the commitment, back to, amen, the connection. Now, this would be a good study for, for you to do even Take those five things and, and search the scriptures and see the connection that Father God has 
you know, towards you, the commitment that he's made to you, the regard that he has for you, the emotions that he has towards you. Aren't you glad God's not indifferent towards us? He's passionate uh, about us. You have the ability to bring tremendous joy to the heart of your heavenly father. There's an emotional connection there. Um, and, you know, how he has behaved towards us. I mean, the mercy. So th- that was kind of going to be a vein of study. I got a bunch of notes on that, but I want to focus on something else uh, tonight in the time that we have uh, remaining. Amen. Are you still with me? So we talk about fellowship. I want us, I want us to look at it and, and don't be thrown by some of these bigger words. I want us to look at fellowship in light of positional and functional oneness. Okay. Fellowship as it pertains to, as it relates to both positional oneness and functional oneness. Now, before I go any further, I want to clarify, by oneness, we mean what the Bible teaches about our being made one with God, and capital N, capital O, capital T, not the doctrine that denies the Trinity ignores the distinctions between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and proclaims God is only one person, okay? Maybe you've heard that teaching, that doctrine where it's it's called a doctrine of oneness and and that means something completely different, something I do not believe is supported by Scripture that I do not believe, I do not agree with, okay? So when, when we use this term oneness, we're talking specifically about what the Bible teaches concerning our having been made one with God. That's what we mean by oneness. Everybody on the same page with me tonight. All right. I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to make that um, distinction. Now, fellowship, as we've already established, is divine. Uh, and, and by divine, I mean in the same way that God being three yet one is divine. And in, in some ways it is a mystery. When the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians and then obviously to you and me, when he talks about marriage and the oneness that exists between a husband and a wife and how that oneness is a reflection of the original intent of God to be one with his people, the Bible says that there is an element of mystery to that. And the reason there's an element of mystery to it is because, again, we're talking about something here that transcends logic or human reasoning. We're talking about something that is spiritual. And how do we understand spiritual mysteries? It's not that, well, it's a mystery, we just give up on it. No, you understand spiritual mysteries by faith. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Amen. And, and of course, faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So what does the Word have to say? That's, that's been, you know, our question that we've asked you know countless numbers of times over the last 25 years together here at heritage what does the word say amen not not what do other uh, opinions and people and books and what have you what does the word say all right so fellowship is divine but god has provided examples on earth for us to look to and ultimately learn from concerning fellowship. And those two examples involve marriage between a man and a woman 
and a body and its members. Now, both of these are earthly representations ordained by God, earthly representations, earthly reflections of desired heavenly realities. What do we, what do we mean by desired heavenly realities? It, heavenly realities. It's what God desires to have with His people. So again, marriage between a man and a woman and a body and its members. Now, fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. This is what we mean by oneness. You see how that false teaching that denies the existence of a distinct Father, a distinct Son, and a distinct Spirit, three persons yet one God. Do you see how that false teaching, that false doctrine, maybe on the surface to some, it's like, well, tomato, tomato, you say this, I say that. No, 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 see, again, if, if, if God is one, then he can't be love. In order for God to be love, there has to be more than one for that love to be shared and exchanged. So when we talk about the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are three yet one, and it's fellowship among the members of the Godhead that enable them to function as one, to function as one. Now, we could spend the rest of our time together just talking about this one point. There are different places in Scripture, primarily at creation, where we see Father God speaking, Jesus, the Word, the Holy Spirit hovering, and how the three are functioning together as one for the creation of mankind. Then we fast forward to Jesus being baptized, Jesus, uh, a, a humble act of submission to his Father, being baptized. He'd never committed any sin. What's he repenting for, right? He's repenting so that all righteousness might be fulfilled, meaning he did it for you and me as our substitute. So Jesus humbling himself to the will of his Father, uh, the Father speaking from heaven words of, of affirmation and encouragement, uh, designating Jesus as his Son, and then the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove and landing upon Jesus. Again, we see them functioning together as one, three yet one, in the creation of this world. And then we see them functioning together as three yet one for the redemption of this world. So it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. This is, this is fellowship. This is what we mean when, when, when we say that, that fellowship is the essence of God. It is intrinsic. It is indispensable. Now, let's follow this, though, because we see that fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. Watch this now. Marriage between a man and a woman makes them one and provides the basis for them to function as one. So I think maybe some of you are seeing where we're going with this, but it's the marriage covenant that creates oneness between a man and a woman. That would be what we would, we're calling a positional oneness. We've been positioned as one together with our spouses. Okay. But, but then we see that that positional oneness creates the opportunity or the basis for that man and woman to then function as one. All right. We'll come back to that. Here, here is, again, this other example. 
Many different members joined together in one body enable the body to function as one. Many members, one body, functioning together. Different members. You are the body of Christ and members individually. The Bible is very clear about this. Amen? But again, God is the example of this. Fellowship enables God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to function as one. Okay? Marriage covenant enables and makes possible for a husband and wife to function as one. And now our having been born of the same seed and the same spirit with the same covenant, having been made new creations through the new birth, being made one together, we now have the basis, the opportunity to learn how to function as a body, many members yet functioning as one. As one. So you're getting quiet on me up in here. Are you just thinking? Am I going too fast? You still with me? Okay. Now, a subset, let me just mention this, because I went back and forth on this today, but a subset of the body is that of vine and branch. And we see that the functional union between a vine and its branches is what vital to the producing or the bearing of fruit okay now do you see then why god uses marriage and body terminology to communicate his desire for oneness with you a desire for both positional oneness and functional oneness positional oneness where he has positioned you where he has watched this now he has literally if you've been born again he has literally made you one with himself that's the position he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified but did he just make you positionally one with him so you know we could have something to talk about on a wednesday night before we go home no he he positioned you he made you one with himself so that you could then learn how to function as one with him functional oneness is dependent upon positional oneness in the same way and i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself pam and i entered into a marriage covenant Almost 36 years ago, July 10th, 1987, we entered into a marriage covenant before God. And during that, that ceremony, God joined us together. Father God made us one. Positionally, we became one July the 10th, 1987. For the last 36 years, we've been learning how to function as one. And I'm not, I'm giving glory to God. I'm not bragging, I'm giving glory to God. We, he's helped us. We, we make a good team, babe. We say that all the time. We make a good team. We've learned how to function as one. Still learning. Don't misunderstand me. Still learning. But see, that's where the positional oneness is extremely important because you can't have functional oneness without positional oneness. Okay? The positional oneness is, is critically important, but the joy comes in the functional oneness. The fruit comes from the functional oneness. Amen. Now, alongside, and we could spend at least one whole session together on this. I'm not saying we're going to do that. But do you see how God uses marriage and body terminology to communicate his desire for oneness with you? Okay. So then the other side of that coin, 
Do you see why the devil despises and targets marriages and the body, both the individual human body as well as the body of Christ, because the devil does not want there to be earthly examples of functional oneness. Jesus said, by your sound doctrine, everybody would know that you're mine. Is that what he said? No, he said, by the love, by the love, by the union, by this, by this common union, by this oneness, this bond that we have. Because, see, because we were created for oneness, we all long for it. We, and, and that's why we see so much you know, dysfunction in relationships in our world today. It's people trying to satisfy their desire for oneness, but doing it their way instead of God's way. Listen, I'm not, I'm not here to try to make anybody mad or uncomfortable or anything of that nature, but, but see, this is why homosexual marriage and, and all of these things, it'll, it'll, it'll never work. And you say, Pastor, I can't believe you're going... Listen, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I, I, listen, we've, we've, we love everybody here at Heritage. Amen. But Jesus didn't preach love and acceptance. We learned this from Brother Keith Moore. Amen. He, he, preached, he preached the kingdom of God and he preached repentance. He preached repentance. And, and so notice how, again, the enemy is trying to take all of these very precious and beautiful examples that, that God designed, even the rainbow. <laughs> that is, if you think that's a coincidence, my friend, and calling it pride... It's exactly why. It's exactly why. Amen. I'm, listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to show you. We're not ignorant of the devil's devices and what he's trying to do. And I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make anybody mad. Okay? As, as, as Brother Donald taught me, it's, it's not uh, controversial. It's confrontational. It's the truth is confronting the lies of the enemy. And it, and it makes some people uncomfortable. And I'm not... Again, let them be offended. That's right, amen. They were offended at Jesus. But you see why the enemy, why, what's the big deal about all this, right? It's because it's the example that Father God chose on the earth to be a reflection of what he desires to have in a beautiful way of fellowship with his people. And Satan, it works overtime to try to destroy marriages, to try to drive a wedge between husbands and wives, and then pervert it with, with all these other things that are, that are not compatible. Amen. Not functional. Functional union has to produce fruit. Amen. 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 And some people don't believe that you can do that, but you absolutely can do that. Amen. Now, Jesus, here, here's the example of functional oneness. Jesus functioned as one with his Father while here upon the earth. Don't, please do not overlook that. Jesus functioned as one with his Father. Did he have positional oneness? Was he, was he matter of fact, he, he was equal with God and thought it not robbery. He wasn't taking anything away from God to be equal with God. But what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. Why did he do that? He did that because, 
he wasn't looking out after his own interests. He was looking out after your interest and his father's interests. Setting the example for us, Philippians 2. Okay. Now, again, we could look at a whole bunch of verses, but let's, here's two that just kind of cut straight to it, all right? John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Amen. Jesus understood that. He knew that, okay? He understood his position. He understood the oneness that he had with his Father. So positional oneness with his Father made Jesus' functional oneness possible. Remember, he came to this earth as a man. He came to this earth as a human being, right? And as a human being, he said, I and my Father are one. But then he also said in John chapter 5, verse 30, the first part of that verse, I can of myself do nothing. Now, Jesus did a bunch, but he didn't do any of that on his own. Everything that he did on this earth as a man he did through functional oneness. That's the words, man, the Holy Spirit's just been just, I mean, just boiling inside of me, rolling inside of me. The functional oneness. Now, let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses, we'll start at verse 10. I mean, a lot of these verses in here are some of my favorite in all the book of John. But let's, for sake of time, let's begin at verse number 10. I want you to see and hear the functional oneness in these words from Jesus. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Again, that's oneness. That's oneness. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? He just got through explaining that if we have seen Him, we have seen the Father. Because He and the Father are one. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? He's asking that question to the group that was, that was there that day, but he's also asking that. It's, a, it's like that question, who do you say that he is? It's a universal question. Do, tonight, do you believe, do you not believe that Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him? Why is that important? He goes on to say, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works functional oneness. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. So what is he saying? One place he said, what wisdom is justified of her children. In other words, um, the proofs in the pudding might be how we say that. He's saying, I can of my own self do nothing, and you've seen me do a whole lot of things, which If you're not going to believe because I'm telling you that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, because I've explained to you that I'm not doing this myself, but it's the Father who's doing the works through me, then you should reverse engineer it because you've seen the miracles. The miracles should confirm to you the functional oneness that he was wanting them to see and understand. Now, verse 12, most assuredly. Anytime Jesus says most assuredly, He's about to tell you something. He is is about to say something that is going to seem so far-fetched, so impossible, that if you're not careful, it'll just sail clean over your head. So he's he's basically saying, all right, brace yourself, because I'm fixing to to give you something here that's 100% absolutely true, 
that, that, that's going to boggle a lot of people's hearts and minds. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, do you see how quickly Jesus shifted from His functional oneness with the Father to our functional oneness with Him? Do you see the pattern Jesus lived out for us to learn from and follow? Amen. Oh man, this is so important that we see this. Now, I'm, let me... This personal relationship mindset is a problem, and we, we've got to root it out. We, we, it, it's preventing so many of God's children from embracing fellowship with Him and oneness with Him. And um, I, I know, based on where we are right now, time-wise, that we're not going to get there tonight. But when we talk about oneness being made one together with God okay the examples that we have again in marriage and the body and then the subset of the body being the vine and the branches we see that the union is where the life is the union is is where the power and the authority and and all of these things and so when we, when we come to God with a personal relationship mindset, one of the, one of the key things about a personal relationship mindset, and I, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I feel so compelled to, to share this right now, is it's this idea of what's mine, what's yours, and then what's ours. That's, that's a personal relationship mindset. And because the different factors that we've already looked at in any relationship are, are variable, we see that there are people in your life, let's just say it this way, that you have more in common with than other people. And I don't just mean more in common with like they like to play disc golf and you like to play disc golf. That's part of it, but I'm, I mean literally... Um, you know, I'm, I'm used this example already in the past. A lot of John Mark and, and Bethany's friends growing up had fellowship with me and with Pam, but not the same fellowship with me and Pam as John Mark and Bethany. And, and one of the things is I didn't pay for their college. I mean, I love Kayla, but I didn't pay for her college. as Bethany's best friend still to this day. So notice then... In, in that scenario, there, there are things that I certainly have done for my children's friends and given to them and included them in and that sort of thing. So there's a variable in all of that. So here is the, here is the subtle deception, though, of this personal relationship mindset is it always includes the portion that's mine and the portion that's yours and then the portion that's ours. A oneness mindset, there is no mine, yours, and ours. There's just us. 
This, come on now. We got See, a, a lot of folks are trying to enjoy a happy, successful marriage with a personal relationship mindset instead of a oneness mindset. It's getting quiet up in here. That's okay. We're going, in the course of, of this vein of our, of our current study, we're going to learn some things uh, about marriage and, and, and being successfully married, okay? You still with me? So quickly, so Jesus quickly shifted from his functional oneness with the Father to our functional oneness with him. Because the pattern Jesus lived out for us is one that we're to learn from and follow. Now, positional and functional oneness with God is our eternal destiny. That's our eternal destiny. Exactly what we're going to be doing a thousand years from here, if a thousand years from now, I do not know. But let me tell you what I do know. It will be carried out through functional oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We will function, we will function not of our own ability, but hand in glove together with Him. So positional oneness with God is an inward reality of the new birth. Functional oneness with God is an outward expression of the inward reality. Now, consider positional oneness and functional oneness in light of marriage between a man and a woman. We could talk about it in light of a a man and a woman. We could talk about it in light of a body of believers. We could talk about it in light of 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 a vine in the branches, okay? And certainly talk about it in light of the oneness that we now have as born again believers with God. But because the, the, I don't know use this, I don't know if this is the right word, but the same rules apply. In other words, the same, not the rules, same principles, same truths, same concepts apply no matter what part of oneness or, or vein of oneness we're talking about. So one more time, consider positional and oneness and functional oneness in light of marriage between a man and a woman. The marriage covenant enables God to create the positional oneness. Make two individuals one, but positional oneness only makes functional oneness possible, does not guarantee it. Anybody that's been married for more than 10 minutes knows that's the case. Amen. Positional oneness only makes functional oneness possible, but it does not guarantee it. God desires the functional oneness of marriage and the fruit it produces to be a living example of what he desires to experience with every human being. If you have been born again, you are the bride and the body of Christ and thereby have positional oneness with God. Somebody say amen to that. So answering the call to fellowship means accepting the invitation to take Jesus' yoke upon you and learn of Him. Watch this now. Please don't let it slip by, okay? A yoke is both... Come on, somebody say it. Positional and functional. It's both. It's both. The yoke represents... The position joined together with, but then it also represents the function of walking alongside. 
A yoke is both positional and functional. In the yoke with Jesus, and might I add, nowhere else, only in the yoke with Jesus will your positional oneness become functional. Now, I said this already, so I'll finish here. Pam and I became positionally one again July the 10th, 1987. We've spent the last 36 years learning how to function as one. A healthy marriage requires a oneness mindset, which is much, much more than a relationship mindset. It is one thing for a man and a woman to be, to be made one by God. It is another thing altogether for that man and woman to think of themselves as one and to treat one another as one. Now, you can stand with me tonight. Now, why is that important? That's important because it applies to our oneness with God. It's one thing to be made one with God, positional, it's another thing altogether for us to learn from Jesus how to functionally operate as one with God on the earth. Now, let me, when we say to, to you know, functional oneness, that's where the miracles are. And let's, just, let's just be as plain about it as in, in case, you know, I did make it clear enough earlier, Jesus, you know, his words. That's, that's, where the, that's where the miraculous fruit is produced in our lives. In the same way that, that a husband and wife uh, coming together as one flesh uh, produces the fruit of the mother's womb. Amen. It's not the only fruit. That's not the only multiplication. That's not the only increase that Father God desires to bring through a, 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 a oneness and, and the fellowship of oneness. Amen. 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 Look at me for just one This was the part I was hoping I would get to, but it's, it's too far down. There's too many other things we need to cover first, but let me just say this and then we'll pray, okay? A personal relationship mindset will deceive you into thinking that you are sharing your life. So that's, that's, that's one of, I think, the more I look at this and the more the Lord shows me about this, it's the personal relationship mindset that causes us, that deceives us into thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to share my life with God and God's going to share His life with me. See, if I choose to share this water with you, what does that mean? That means I'm still viewing this glass and the water that's in it, every drop of it is mine. And if you are really thirsty and if I really like you and if you can convince me enough that, that it's, something's in it for me, I'll give you a little drink of it. That's personal relationship mindset. This is mine. You're in need. Let me see if I can give you a little something to help you out. Now give it back to me. And I think that may be more than any other issue with personal relationship mindset is that that's how we treat God. We want to maintain 
our own identity. We want to maintain our own rights. We want to maintain our own resources. We want to maintain our own life and share a little of it with Him when it's convenient. My friend, Jesus did not share His life with you. He gave His life for you. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And we can do no less than to give Him ours in return. Amen? Father, thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your power. For the power of Your truth, Lord. For the power of Your wisdom. The power, Lord, that's in Your words. I thank You, Father, that these words have landed on good soil tonight both those who are in the room and those, who, Lord, who are watching online and those who will see this, Lord, be led, quote-unquote, to stumble across it a hundred years from now should you tarry your return, Jesus, and be, be ministered to, be touched, be inspired, be awakened, Lord, to what it is that you long to experience and enjoy with, with us, your children, with us, your people, the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. Father, how you communicate fellowship and oneness through those earthly examples because, Father, that is, those things are a reflection of what you always intended. Before you ever created Adam, before you ever breathed breath into his lungs, your desire was to be one, to be one with us, your people. Father, may we understand these things. May we grow in these things. May we Stop denying our positional oneness with you so that we can get on to learning how to function as one with you in the earth. All for your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. So excited about what God is doing among us and in us and through us and with us. You have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you Sunday, if not before. Amen.